Hi. Good morning. Great to be here. Let me know if this is too loud or too soft. Um, as uh, Isabel mentioned, I've been here before to play music a few times, and I've been here for some community events because, uh, of course, Wes is always opening its doors for various uh, people in the community, so I've been there. And then um, a few months ago I was here, I guess it's been four or five months now, for a, a wonderful platform because I wanted to find out what that was like. Um, and fortunately it was by, by Joe Hairston, who lives not far from here, on, a, on, on quite a similar theme, a reminder that we, um, you know, being here in Washington, we live among so many people that have done so, so many great things for, for civil rights and other important and related causes. Um, so I want to thank Isabel for that wonderful introduction, which there's no way I can live up to, and also to, uh, to Amanda, who is, um, I'm sure, on a well-deserved vacation somewhere. I think she made a point of not telling me where she was, not giving me any email or cell phone information. You have to do that these days to get away. And to, uh, to Karen and, and, uh, and everybody else here. So I'm not a member, at least not yet, but, uh, I do, I do feel, <laughs> I do feel very at home here. So, um, I'm real pleased to be here. Usually I, I don't speak with notes, but I don't really trust myself this morning because even though I've had about five cups of coffee, I just got back from a very long trip in which I, um, I drove against the, uh, advice of my wife and others to, uh, one of the many events I've been doing since this book is out to Louisiana and Mississippi, and uh, so I got back very late uh, the other night. And yesterday was a was a busy day, so I figured if I just kind of winged it as usual, um, it might be a little bit irrational. I might start, you know, talking about music or sports or something. So I'm giving myself a, a bit of a crutch today. So. Um, I hope you'll bear with me here, but I also won't be long. I might not be much longer than that introduction because we have a nice, uh, plentiful and bountiful service with great music here today, and I just, uh, I'm just here to, to join in it and be a part of it. Um, as I mentioned, um, it's been about six months since this memoir came out. It's been very, very hectic um, at my age, kind of physically exhausting, although mentally very invigorating and a lot of fun. One of the great things about it, I know there's other writers here. I don't know if other people have done memoirs, although I really recommend it. It's, it's a lot cheaper than therapy. It, it's, it's, a, it's a way to kind of look back over your, uh, your life, and if you're honest, you, you put the good and the bad in there, and there's, there's plenty of both uh, in this one. Um, but one nice thing is it brings you back in touch with people that you haven't seen for many years, I have some people here in that category today, and um, and and that that's another kind of nice thing. It connects you to the past, um, but um, it's it's been very gratifying also because I've gotten to speak um, not just traveling. I've been around the whole country, but a lot of events in this area um, with a lot of young people, um, students in high schools, colleges, all over. Very diverse group, different kinds of audiences. And one thing that I found really refreshing is, even though they do not know the civil rights history, which was another, other than the therapeutic memoir aspect, that's another big reason I wrote the book, because I found when I was teaching um, at some, as an adjunct uh, at some local colleges and universities here and elsewhere, I was really stunned, I was naive, about the lack of knowledge of the civil rights movement. And I talk about that in some detail in the book. Um, you know, you, you really, uh, you get to a certain age, you assume a lot. 
Um, and um, so, so that's kind of the, the unfortunate part of it. But the good thing is when I meet with these people, they have a very refreshing view of you know, what I call civil rights um, in terms of non-discrimination and diversity. They're growing up in a very much more tolerant and naturally diverse world. And that diversity includes not just race and ethnicity, but gender, orientation, nationality, immigrant status, disability. It's just the world they're in. And they see, um, I, would, I know that they see a lot of the events in my book, if they read it, um, as kind of bizarre, because why would people do this? Why would you discriminate against somebody in such a violent and, and horrible way? Um, and I find that really refreshing, because that's really what those of us that are ancients and go back to the beginning of the civil rights movement, remember that was the original goal, that we're much more alike than different. And I try to keep that in mind no matter what the audience is. Um, so that, you know, that's always kind of my starting point, and I, and I do find myself coming back to that a lot today. Um, as, um, but today, rather than talk about the book and the events in the book, um, although it won't take much to get me to talk about those if anybody wants to later, um, I'm going to leave all the burning crosses and the shotgun blasts and the death threats to me and a lot of other people and the, the tears and the intimidation and the jail bars closing shut, including on me back in the day, um, and talk a little bit more about today because um, I'm not uh, extremely knowledgeable about ethical culture, but what I do know is that, um, thank God for the Internet, <laughs> I didn't really have time to do much research, but, uh, <laughs> and I don't think that ethical culture is a prominent section in some of the Mississippi libraries that I'm just back from, uh, but I do know that uh, if people in, in, in the ethical culture movement, and, and I know in this congregation, that people tend to be judged or known for not necessarily the, uh, the liturgy, you know, what we say, the ritual, et cetera, what we read, uh, even some of the, you know, beautiful readings here today, but rather what we do, rather how we, we live our lives. And, and that's always been a very, you know, important part of, of my life. God, I better watch out. I'm starting to, somebody's going to come up and say, well, you're practically a member already. Why don't you just get out the checkbook? Um, but no, I find, I find that, I find that very, you know, refreshing. If we are judged at all, um, I think that's, that's got to be, you know, what it's all about. Um, so that having been said, I'm not going to go through the book and the chapters and some of the rather shocking details of the Klan and other cases in there and the bodies and the burnings and all of that. Um, but I will say that, um, as Isabel said, if you do purchase the book, you'll be contributing to a wonderful cause, Empowered Women International. We, we do uh, represent on a whole variety of issues, not just the legal, but economic development, empowerment of all kinds, education, to, to really the same group that was, that, that, whose rights were being protected for the first time back in the civil rights movement, low-income people, minorities, uh, immigrants. So I'm not taking a dime from this other than my expenses, and I don't keep very good records, so I tend to forget a lot of the expenses. <laughs> So it, it will be going to a, a good cause. Um, and I'll give you a money-back guarantee, except you have to find me. <laughs> and I'm kind of like Amanda. I'm not, I'm not telling you my, my cell or my email. 
Um, but but um, I hope you will con- you will consider that. So um, along those lines, and, and again, this looks like I'm going to be long, but I won't. I just I just want to do another thing that I don't usually do, and that's read an excerpt. I'm not very fond of these literary readings at bookstores where people read from their books. And anyway, this is nonfiction. I'm totally untrained. I don't consider myself any great or certainly never not educated writer. I just have lived long enough that I have some interesting tales to tell. So I'm no great stylist or Proust or anything like that. But um, I, I, I am going to read this one excerpt because it kind of goes to what I was saying, that the wonderful thing about the civil rights movement is that it really was for the benefit of everyone, not just the plaintiffs or defendants in particular cases, not for a particular group that a law or a suit was aimed at, but it really, it really is wonderful for all of us. And um, there's nothing real particularly original here, but, but this is kind of how I see it. This is from the, the final chapter after I've told all these tales and I get to play old man and pontificate about uh, how the world ought to be. The legacy of the civil rights struggle is a profound one for the nation with many concrete and potential beneficiaries. One theory, and there's considerable evidence to support it, holds that no one profited more from the end of legalized segregation than the southern white population. The end of violent confrontations brought at least some semblance of stability to the region, paving the way for much-needed outside business development, and the beginning of the end of the South as an underdeveloped country in our midst, white and black. On a local level, many a merchant profited nicely by being, quote, forced to serve all customers, and municipalities saved many dollars previously devoted to needlessly duplicated segregated facilities. On a grander scale, the movement's triumphs set a shining example for other groups seeking their right to pursue the American dream. You know, but we forget, I don't, know, I don't mean we, but like younger people particularly, that none of these other groups that I mentioned had any real legal protections whatsoever until the civil rights movement showed that it could be done. Uh, Few, if any, people were ever as historically demonized and disenfranchised as African Americans, yet they slew Goliath and cast off their chains, at least the legal ones. What an indelible message for their brothers and sisters. If you're of Hispanic or Asian heritage, you don't have to muffle your native language or be ashamed to celebrate your cultural holidays. If you're a young schoolgirl, you can grow up to be anything you want to be, not just a traditional, quote, women's occupations. If you're gay, you don't have to spend your life in denial, cowering in the darkness of the closet. If you use a wheelchair, you can still attend that concert, that ball game, or that presidential inauguration. This is your country, too. Again, I'm hardly the first person to express these, but um, on all these anniversaries that we're having now, 50th anniversaries, even 49th and 51st, I'm finding, <laughs> that I get invited to. Um, it's like a magnet for me going back back to the future. Um, you know, we, we, we forget the, the vast scope of this, this movement, how it introduced, uh, you know, even the possibility of some kind of dignity to so many other groups that never would have dreamed of it before. So, um, but I do feel, and this is a little controversial, but we're at Wes, and one nice thing is that um, here, unlike in other forums, you don't have to wait for a letter to editor. People are going to stand right up after me, as I know, and say, no, that's not really correct. <laughs> but we do need more of this civil discourse, so I don't have to be politically correct here, I don't think. I, I really think that we need to change um, some of the civil rights strategy. And again, this isn't my, you know, this isn't just me, but I think some of our attention these days 
is misplaced. I, I just returned. The last part of this trip was in the Mississippi Delta, which is not only a place of just unimaginable, horrific uh, civil rights history, some that I was involved in, also Louisiana on this trip, but even before the, 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 the site of the Emmett Till killing and other similarly horrific events, which are just now being starting to be memorialized and rem remembered. The stuff was kind of too hot to handle for many years. Um, and, of course, we're never going to waver. We should never waver in our fight against this kind of bigotry, this kind of outrageous, upfront, not exactly institutional or subtle uh, b bigotry, often violent, that the cases in the book portray. But I think if we just stress that, this kind of naked prejudice, we're not really being very effective for all the people that need help or support in, this, in the country. And um, it, it may be politically correct, but I don't think that's enough. And I'll give you two examples of that. And I know that some people will disagree, but again, we need more of the civil discourse. Uh, here's two, here's two, two examples of it. Um, and I, I thought about this a lot, and I talked about it to some people down there. And when you're in these kind of poverty-stricken areas with this terrible history, it, it gives you a different perspective on it. I was thinking of a couple of recent events that really took up a lot of attention by people, and particularly in the media. One was this, and I'll try to be brief here because you'll know these things. One was the, uh, the instance of this fellow, Donald Sterling, who owned the professional basketball franchise, Donald Sterling. So we all know these terrible, bigoted things, racist things that he said. He said them in the privacy of his own home under rather bizarre circumstances. I'm not going to begin to try to <laughs> encapsulize Mr. Sterling's marital, non-marital, whatever, <laughs> life. Um, but, you know, he said these things in the privacy of his own home. And, you know, immediate, and, and of course they were awful, and you won't even want to associate with people that said this. And so he became this, you know, terrible kind of whipping boy. Um, and so what happened? Ultimately, you know, he was kind of forced against his will to sell his franchise, which basically employed millionaire basketball players, sold season tickets to people in, Los Angeles area on the west side with plenty of money to go to these events. And he took a thrashing, deservedly so, in the media. But so what happened? What's the great punishment that he had? He's forced to sell a team that he bought for something like $60 million, and he's forced to sell it for about $2 billion. <laughs> so even with, <laughs> even with the capital gains tax or whatever it is, you know, I don't really see a whole lot of point in kind of glorying in how politically correct and wonderful it was that this fight was won. Another example, which hits closer to home, and trust me, this is not a national issue, because I do get around the country a lot, not just on this trip, but locally, and I know you know what I'm going to say here, that's this current controversy over the name of our professional football team here. I don't know why I got into these two sports things, but um, I, you know, I guess I was watching ESPN in the hotels on this trip. You know, and again, um, it's, a, it's, it's a terrible name for the team, um, but I'm thinking again, we're talking about you know, billionaire owner, extremely well-paid people, um, coaching staff, players, etc., and people that can afford to pay season tickets to go see this team. I mean, you know, what is this controversy really doing? And again, I, I, I can't speak directly, but I spend a lot of my time, I guess, speaking for other people. Um, I've known, as a, particularly as an attorney, a fair number, I would say, of American Indians and worked with some, in fact, shared an office with one or two for long periods of time. And again, we got the post platform coming up where you can tell me I'm crazy, and that's fine. 
Um, that won't be the first time and not the last. But I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that among those people, the American Indians, um, I would say given the socioeconomic status of American Indians in this country, even today, let alone the history, I don't think that this Redskins controversy is going to make the top 50 for most people. So, again, might not be politically correct, but I have come around to point view. So, where, what should we be focusing on? Um, I, I, uh, I learned a lot on this trip. One thing I saw there was that um, even in these these very poor areas in Mississippi, the Delta being the absolute poorest in a lot of the areas in Louisiana and Mississippi, elsewhere in the state, not a whole lot better. I saw a lot of the beginnings. These are fairly new efforts because the history there lasts forever. It's like I got this blurb from William Faulkner, which was very nice of him on the back of my book that says down south, um, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And it really is true down there. In these small towns, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows past, things are slow to change. But we're starting to see what I really consider an extremely important and wonderful movement toward economic development and education development intertwined that is going to help everybody down there, black and white, which was about all there was when I was down there, but there's been huge demographic changes. There's, there's people from other nationalities, immigrants and otherwise as well, and, and women too. Um, I was one of the places I spoke, which is not exactly my normal habitat for an old radical like me, was I was invited to speak at the Rotary Club um, uh, uh, in, in uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi, kind of the capital of the Delta. I was down there to play and sing some music, too, so I was having a good time. And I was really stunned um, to see that the, uh, the chair of this organization was a young black businessman. It was majority white, but the makeup was you know, quite diverse. Um, there were also a number of women there. They were joking that they finally let us in, but we have to raise our hands and we can't speak, say anything controversial. <laughs> so slow is, change is slow, but I saw wonderful example after wonderful example of people working uh, together. I went down to breakfast where I was staying and I was inviting to join the kind of local business roundtable for breakfast. Now, usually that sounds about exciting as you know, your typical Kiwanis or Rotary lunch commemorating National, you know, Sunflower Day or something. But what it was, was a whole group of people, men and women, black and white, working together to effect these uh, economic developments, bringing investment in based on the positives in the community. Uh, a lot having to do with tourism because there's a, there's, they're really trying to make it into a music capital, not just locally and regionally, but nationally, kind of like Nashville's done, like New Orleans has done, like Memphis has done, all places that I've spent a lot of time for music and civil rights. And they're making a lot of progress. They've also got people working locally and from Washington and even in the state capital in Jackson um, on economic development to bring in grants to do this. And um, they don't even need to partner with local or nonprofit minority organizations because these places are so, they're so far behind what you see in Washington where everybody here is involved in, you know, about five different organizations. Those things barely even exist, but they work together kind of naturally. Again, this kind of natural integration and working together for a better world that I see on the minds of young people who are not allow, you know, necessarily going to join liberal or civil rights organizations, but they're going to kind of work together 
for the betterment of everybody, and I know I'm oversimplifying it, it's not everyone, just because that seems to be the natural and right thing to do. Another example, um, after I talked at the Rotary, the mayor, this is about a 70% black town, um, and he's the first white mayor in a long time, um, but he was elected with most of the support of the, of the black community, and he asked to meet with me afterwards, and I did, and I thought it was just another one of these glad-handing things. But to make a long story short, um, what he's doing, he's spearheading an effort to make sure that the local black musicians um, who are all over this delta, just this wonderful blues and other music tradition, get better opportunities to perform for, for decent pay, which, trust me, is not a given in the, <laughs> in the music industry. Uh, people are happy if the check doesn't bounce. And I saw uh, examples of that because when I played uh, my, on my night to play blues in Clarksdale, I got to play with two locals, one about 15 years old, phenomenal musician who goes by Kingfish, and another kind of old-timer who must be about 75 who goes by razor blade. Uh, another reminder that um, my path from Wall Street, law, law, uh, Wall Street lawyer to a more downwardly sector of the environment is <laughs> never quite finished. I'm still, I'm still going downward. And these people are, and these people are, you know, extremely grateful for that. They're arranging tours. There's a guy, that, that down there, a white guy, who has started a um, sort of a blues and R&B and jazz, et cetera, record store and memorabilia store with T-shirt and the whole thing, and he, through his contacts, he's organized tours where he's taking some of these musicians overseas, including to Brazil. You know, he got some contracts for very, very good. So I know that sounds like small, you know, compared to the things we do in Washington, but it was just, it was just really great, great to see. So yeah, I think we want to remember all this, the terrible things in the past that are in the book and memorialize them. I mean, I haven't been back 48 hours. I've gotten two invitations already to go back for 50th anniversary civil rights celebrations involving various uh, events and grave markers and mule trains and things like that. And I'm a sucker for this stuff. I probably will. So I, I really think that we should be doing, you know, a lot more than that, a lot more along those lines. Um, there's, there's plenty of people um, here that have done a whole lot for, than me and certainly are doing, you know, a lot more now. Um, but I think, you know, given, uh, I guess, the message of the part of the book that I read about the scope, how civil rights showed all of these other groups in society that hadn't had power, you know, what they could do if they organized and worked together and how ultimately it comes to the benefit of everybody, you know, I, I, I think we have to push that. It's just a different economic time. We tend to forget or people weren't born, you know, and I took it for granted that in the 60s when the civil rights movement blossomed, um, yeah, there was a lot of political, social turmoil, not just uh, civil rights, but the Vietnam War and a whole lot of other issues. Women's rights was getting rolling. But the economy was good then. I mean, trust me, you could come out of college then with a liberal arts degree with no skills whatsoever and have a job. Uh, student loans, no, that meant, you know, borrowing some money from a buddy for beer or something else while you were in, in college. I tell students that my wife and I went to the University of California, you know, for four years for free, no tuition. And they think I'm, you know, science fiction or, well, you don't really mean free, do you? You know, and Ronald Reagan was governor, so, you know, it wasn't any socialist paradise or anything. 
but it's just it's just a different it's just a different time and i think that in that age you know we had a conscience but we also had a lot of leisure time we we weren't really worried too much about ourselves people are worried about their own economic situation now certainly students are and people just out of college that come back and live with us in our basements right i see a lot of nods out there um, so you can't necessarily appeal I guess what I'm saying is um, to their sort of conscience or sacrifice. It's not really like that. It's kind of trying to develop things so that these economic opportunities come to the benefit of all of us. I'm not an expert in this area, uh, God knows, but I've seen it. I've seen it happen. And when I tell you when I tell you that it's it's happening in the Mississippi Delta, whew, um, you know, it really can happen uh, anyplace else. So to me, you know, that's kind of the uh, it, it kind of all goes hand in hand. Not only did the civil rights movement open up the doors for those other groups that I mentioned to seek their place, to, to seek the American dream, um, but it showed that even with economic issues, which are a lot less, uh, uh, they're much more complex. You don't do it by picketing necessarily. You don't march, although if you want to picket the Federal Reserve, that's fine. But look, it's, it's, it's run by a woman now. Who would have thought? <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, I think that this kind of work that should be done that I saw in Mississippi and even in Louisiana, um, it's tougher. It takes a lot more planning. It takes a little more expertise. But ultimately, you know, I think it's, it's for the benefit of everyone. Thank you. And I'm going to finish up by playing one quick uh, freedom song here. I, I usually don't sing. I usually only sing if I'm in a bar with a band and it's about 12 o'clock and everybody's had a lot to drink. But again... I think I'm with friends, so we'll give it a shot. Thank you.